my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Welcome back to another episode of Big Money Energy, where we talk to super successful and self-made people to find out exactly how they did it, how they went from nothing to something. Today, I'm joined by astrophysicist, author, director of the Hayden Planetarium, and all-around science megastar, Neil deGrasse Tyson. This episode is a little different than what we usually do because there's no one like Neil in the entire Milky Way. We discuss a lot of things, but we talk about the responsibility of using your platform to champion causes you care about. We go through how to keep your head above water when pursuing a passion until it pays the bills and why the hell it's taken so long for space tourism to become an industry. Hint, takes a couple billionaires. Now let's get into it. Welcome to another episode. I genuinely cannot believe who I convinced to come on the show today. He is easily one of the most recognizable personalities uh, in the world and 
by far one of the smartest people out there and will definitely be the smartest person who ever comes on this podcast from now through history. You can mark those words. He's an astrophysicist, a host, a best-selling author, and the director of the Hayden Planetarium. And he's also, as we just found out, a New Yorker. And if that wasn't enough in 2000, he was voted the sexiest astrophysicist alive by People Magazine. And I think that is a ranking we should never, ever forget. So here to discuss how he makes it happen and all the insane things he's working on, please welcome Neil deGrasse Tyson. Thank you for the introduction, but I need to clarify something. In, in 2000, when I received that designation by People Magazine, you just have to consider the category that I was in. <laughs> there are categories way more competitive than sexiest astrophysicist in the People Magazine issue sexiest man alive first there's a sexiest man alive who transcends category that's on the cover and that year it was brad pitt okay got that one and then other categories where there's just no contest if you're outside of that category like sexiest action star sexiest news anchor sexiest professional athlete sexy Listen, you don't you don't have to apologize for being sexy no, i see I'm what you're doing saying. here you're I, trying to clarify Listen, I, i'm a real estate broker you know my whole life is rankings i don't clarify if i I'm clarify, clarify like well listen my sales volume is only x because of this you know you know it's just disclosure i just want to make sure people plus that that was 40 pounds ago so yeah you are new york born and bred yeah yeah born in the bronx the Bronx, you got to say it right. Have you always lived in New York? Did you ever leave, go elsewhere? No, no, I left for college and part of graduate school. So if you added up those years, I was probably gone for 10 years. And then I came back to finish graduate school at Columbia. And and then I left, uh, did post-PhD work, uh, postdoc at Princeton. So we moved to Princeton for a bit, but then came back. It is hard to define exactly what you do. Can you tell us all, if you were to say, hey, this, this is what my day looks like. This is my career. This is what I do. What you would say, what's your answer to that? The challenge there is no day looks like any other day. So it's hard to characterize what I do. So if I step back and I can say, what kind of things happen to me in a month, over a month? So over a month, I will write more for whatever might be my next book. I will have conducted probably uh, 10 interviews for national media, another 10, 15 interviews for just people who are interested in what I do. I have a very soft spot for fledgling podcasts, people who are trying to bring science through their own lens. Uh, in fact, I recently agreed to do, there's two kids who are new in high school. So one is like a ninth grader, another one's an eighth grader, and they have a, a podcast in high school because they love science, so it's their science podcast. And so they wrote to me to see if I'd be a guest on their podcast. And I said, sure. And then they just freaked out. So then we did the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and and this was in Canada, a small town in Canada. It was only one high school. And that made like local headlines, right? And I and I'm I was delighted to do that. And that's awesome. I, and I chuckle anytime I get invited to be on a podcast. And they feel compelled to list famous guests they've already had as though I would say, oh, you had this famous guest. Therefore, I want to be on your podcast. I don't give a rat's ass who was on your podcast before. I, I really don't care. Just is your mission um, noble? Do you want to do the right thing? Is it something? And, and so I have a soft spot for that. So, so anyhow, so it's another 10 or 15 podcast. Um, and... Uh, also, 
I oversee programs at the American Museum of Natural History that relate to uh, the universe. I also read from books. I have a collection of very old books on science. Uh, I read them because they tell me how we used to think about the universe and how what we learned later may have pivoted off of some correct assessment of the nature of the universe or incorrect assessment. And I track that. I also spend time reading books that are completely opposite anything I think or believe in, just so I can understand how people think who are very different from myself. You've successfully been able to take this passion for, for knowing more and turn it into a very robust, diverse career that I think is very hard for a lot of people to do. Do you have any advice for anybody who is struggling with the idea of I, you know, I've got this passion, but it doesn't pay my bills. So I've got to go and get a job and maybe I can come back to it later. Yeah, that's a really important question and an insightful question. And I've gone in and out of different understandings and explanations for this to myself. Let me just share one of them with you. Uh, and let me, by analogy, mention a library, all right, a physical library like the old days. So you walk into a library. And so what is a library? A library is a place where they don't know in advance what book you're going to look for and someone else who comes in five minutes after you is going to look for. So they attempt to stock everything that you could possibly look for on the expectation that you will find what you are looking for. All right. Well, for a library to be successful, they need enough books in enough fields with enough depth so that uh, pick a number nine out of 10 people find what they're looking for. 99 out of 100, pick a, pick a number, but it's got to be the majority. Otherwise, the library is not really serving the needs of a reading community. Okay. So what are we as human beings, as pliable, flexible human beings? We often don't know what our first love will be. So what you can do is turn yourself into a kind of a library. Anything that interests you, pursue it, at least on the side. That's not that hard. You do that for hobbies. If you have a hobby, you do it on the side. You have no expectation you're going to be paid for the attention you give to your hobby. All right. So... Think of your life as a library, and as was my life, okay? So watch this happen. As a child, I'm criticized by my teachers for my social energy. I still have my report cards. One of them said it succinctly, less social involvement and more academic diligence is in order. Three exclamation points. That was in fifth grade. Okay. My grades were not high. They were kind of average. And in school, the metrics for your evaluation as a student are pivot strongly on your grades and whether you shut up when you're told to shut up and pay attention in class. All right. So the perfect student is one who does not disrupt class, does all their homework assignments on time and gets high grades. And the entire system we have built, educational system says that's the successful student. Meanwhile, look at practically every entrepreneur there ever was. 
every successful person by most measures of a free society's metrics of success and ask, were they that perfect student? The answer is no. No. Most of them, if not 100% of them, were not that. Okay? So there's something else going on in successful people that are not cued, that are not indexed off of your exams and your behavior as, as a school child. So what I'm saying is, yeah, there are things that I got good at that no one cares about and no one is paying any attention at all, but that's the library problem. The library will have books that no one will ever check out again, but you don't know that in advance. So, so there's no harm in building the portfolio of all the things you like and are good at. Then have that rise up. And I can tell you this, everything I'm doing that is valued never appeared in anybody's job description that I replied to. When I became director of the planting, we need you to do this and run the program, this, this, fine. Okay, did it say host a series for, for Cosmos? No. Did it say, oh, by the way, the, the person who has this, we want you to host PBS series. on tele That's not in the job description. No. Most of what I'm doing is not in the job description, but when people see it, they be, they come to value it. And then everything I cared about and loved becomes the very job description itself. It's harder and it's challenging. And by the way, I did not have a job where I made more than $16,000 a year until I was 33. Wow. Okay, so if, if you're distracted by money, then you can't rely on all of your inner passions to be compensated earlier in life. So yeah, go find a pre-existing job with a pre-existing job description that is a pre-existing salary listed to it and tune your training to fit that, then they'll hire you, then you'll have a nice salary coming right out of college. I did not. Were you worried about job prospects? No. Because after my PhD, almost didn't matter what happened to me in my life. That was my life's goal as a child. Everything else would just be gravy. Plus, it helped that I married someone who worked for the financial industry. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that See, that, you know, that's what I'm, look I'm looking for, the secret. There no, 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 yeah. That helped. It just meant we lived, you know, it, we in a nice place. Uh, I, I could have lived. I mean, I was living the way a student lived most of those years, right? So I could have kept living that way. The, the trappings of having more money, eat in a nicer restaurant, drink a nicer bottle of wine, this sort of thing. Um, and so, but but anyhow, all of this sort of accrues is what I'm saying. And oh, I also I started liking wine uh, early on. Yeah. We had wine regularly at home, mostly Gallo and Paul Masson when I was growing up. But the fact that wine was something associated with meals was a very early thing for me. And I then took an academic interest in wine. And uh, at, at some point, one of the wine magazines noticed me. Okay, Wine Spectator magazine, big magazine for the wine industry. And they did a profile on me. And it says, um, uh, 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 astrophysicist with stars in his eyes sees wine. And they tried, there's some, you know, clever title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put good headline. It. And so you realize that these pockets of society that will find you if your interests have a sufficient depth of passion. 
And then it builds the entire profile of who you are and what you represent. Now, the fact that I'm visible in public, none of that was a goal. And I don't care if anybody knew anything about me. I just kept giving good sound bites to the news and then they kept coming back. And then people said, oh, you're a natural at that. No, they have no idea what I did to train for those sound bites. I stood in front of a mirror because the first time, you didn't ask this, but I'm telling you. Um, no, it's important. The, the, the first time I was on national news for a cosmic event it was 1995, a new planet around another star was the first exoplanet was discovered. And so um, NBC, I think it was NBC News sent a camera up to the Hayden Planetarium. And by the way, they didn't know about me from Adam. They just knew I had title, direct, director of the Hayden Planetarium. So, so they're interviewing the director of the Hayden Planetarium. I give them my best professorial reply, all right, because I'm an academic. And I say, here's how we found it, we, my colleagues. Here's how it works. Here's the Doppler shift. Here's a, and, and I said, you're looking at the response of the host star to the gravity of the, of the planet and orbit around it. And that evening when they finally cut the piece, basically the only part of that interview that made it in was me shifting my hips like this. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, even though they came to me, they don't want my professorial reply. They want a reply that'll work in their format. The whole story lasts three minutes. They, they want sound bites. That was a revelation for me. And, the, and they will always tell you, oh, no, don't sound bite. Just give us your thing. We'll fix it up later. Then I realized, no. If you're going to use one sentence for me or three sentences and they're going to be cut together, I'm going to hand you those sentences so that you don't have to cut it. And then I'm in control of that content. So I went home, looked in the mirror, had my wife just say random things from the universe to me, black holes, quasars, big bang. And with each word, I came out with a three sentence soundbite, which has got to be interesting, tasty, informative, and, and enticing enough to want to tell someone else. And you get it all done. So test me on that. Say anything in the universe. Test me. Black hole. Black hole. Avoid them. <laughs> 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 if one comes near you, go the other direction. It's a region of space where the gravity is so intense that the speed of light is not even sufficient to escape. It is a hole in the fabric of space and time. And we're still learning about what's going on inside of them. Boom! Bada bing! Boom! You're taking that whole thing and putting that in just as I handed it to you. Whereas there was a day when that same information would have been scattered across a 15 long, sentences yeah, longer, yeah, a long rambling hour, yeah. interview and they'd have to uh, plug it together. So when people say, oh, you're such a natural at that. No, I fucking worked at it. Yeah. Okay, please. <laughs> Can we understand this, please? Yeah. All right. Sorry to, to drop an F-bomb on you. You're too well-dressed no, for me. I think it's it's so important because I think- but For those people, only listening to this, the, the man here is in a, in a highly pressed shirt and a Wall Street tie and I'm in, I'm in my morning pajamas, just so we know here. Okay. Very nice pajamas, though. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. 
My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I didn't even ask you a lot of that, but it's uh, it's so important because I think people don't don't realize the work. But what I think is so curious about you is you knew to do that work to build a career as a well-known astrophysicist without anyone having to tell you to do that? No, because I didn't build it on purpose. It just, oh, so I didn't finish the thought. So once I started giving them sound bites they liked, they kept coming back for more. Then documentarians noticed it. And so then they came to me for an interview. And then people who wanted to do TV series, Nova came to me to host a spinoff, Nova Science Now. And so I'm not seeking any of this out. No. It, and I, so I, so why am I doing it? I'm doing it because I judged that I would be irresponsible if I didn't. So there's a responsibility. Yes. If, if, if I have a way I can communicate science to the public that is unique or has, has flavors to it that people appreciate, and if I didn't do it in a society and in a culture that, that depends on science literacy just for even its own governance, if I didn't do it, I, I, I don't know that I could feel like I was a responsible participant in our society. What I long for, I fantasize about this, that we get enough others doing this, and there's more. It's a growing number of science sort of educator, sort of pop educator science folk. You get enough of them on the landscape, I will just slowly step backwards 
and then exit the rear door. Do it slowly. <laughs> and then when I exit, no one will notice because it's so full of others fully engaged in fun, interesting ways. And then I'll go right to the Bahamas. And I was going to say, what beach are we going to find <laughs> yeah, yeah, you Bahamas. on? Bahamas. Totally the Bahamas. And Because I don't need to do this. I'm happy to do it, but I don't seek it out. Do you believe in fate? No. Well, so you can look at the statistics of it. All right. So there is very good reason for the sayings, fate uh, favors the well-prepared. Okay. So uh, if you unpack that statistically, it means put as many books in your personal library as you can so that when an opportunity arises, you say, I can do that. And someone will other, else will say, oh, you're the lucky person. Was well, it really luck? Or did you just recognize the opportunity because you had the receptors to do so? So no, I don't, I don't think fate as in it would happen to you no matter what. I think it's, you gotta be ready for it and recognize it when it arrives. Uh, if you just look at how the numbers work out, um, if you say that there's no such thing as, as coincidence, it was all meant to be, um, that is the product of a failure of the human cognitive system. It's, it's why statistics as a branch of math was very late in the coming. I mean, calculus was practically fully fleshed out and developed long before statistics was formulated. And so that's evidence that statistics is just not a natural way for us to think about our life experience. Yeah. We want to think that we're special, that the whole world is aligning for us. This is the source of so many religions, right? If you're if you're in a heartless world, but someone in your religion cares about you, then you, you retain your sense of personal value uh, in the face of that. And so, yeah, I don't know if knowing statistics helps you or hurts you in that state of mind, but I, I prefer to be plugged into an objective reality as often as I can. Clearly. What are your thoughts on uh, on Elon Musk and what he's doing with, with SpaceX? Oh, it should have happened decades ago. We should have had space entrepreneurs decades ago. Why do you think it's only happening now between Blue Origin well, and, it's expensive. and SpaceX? Just because of cost, sure. You, you need rich people to think to do it because there's no initial return on investment, really. Um, it's, uh, and Elon Musk famously said, how do you make a small fortune in space industry? Start with a big fortune. <laughs> I think that's Elon Musk. And so it's really, you need the passion of a rich person to try to make it happen. And that way they can plow through the years of no ROI that would have bankrupted anybody else. And they just keep pumping in their money until you get over that hump where, oh, now I can send you up in space for just a million dollars. And there are plenty of billionaires out there now that'll spend a million dollars on a joyride. And that becomes a, a, a business model for space tourism. But you have to get there first. You have to build the rockets that failed first. You have to... Can't just send anyone into space. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to go up into space as a space tourist? Most people's definition of space does not coincide with my definition of space. I'm sure. So Earth orbit is typically what people think of when they think of space. But that's the distance from New York to Washington, D.C., but straight up, right? And in fact, in low Earth orbit, you are closer to Earth's surface than San Francisco is from Los Angeles, right? So that, that's, to me, that's not space. 
That's just a really, really, really high airplane. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> For a lot. It's the most expensive airplane ticket ever. Perfectly worded. Uh, the difference is you'll be weightless and you'll see stars in the daytime, that sort of thing, because you're above most of the scattering of light in Earth's atmosphere. So that's, that has a, an attraction to it. But, yeah, if you're going to go to the moon or Mars or beyond, yeah, I'll sign up for it. But I joke and I say, Elon, if you're going to put me in your rocket, um, let it be a rocket that you've already sent your mother on and brought her back safely. Then I'll go on the rocket. So, like, in interstellar, like, that that would be your idea of space exploration. Go that far. Uh, what What about interstellar? You mean going to other planets? Yeah, like, if you... No, but that, that's, that's, that's not a routine thing. They, these were yeah. pioneers um, trying to find a new place to move. By the way, if you had that much technology to fly to another planet through black holes and things, it seems to me you'd have enough technology to fix the blight on the crops on Earth. It's, that'd be that'd be way cheaper exercise in your science and engineering portfolio. You'd think so, but Michael Caine couldn't figure it out. So <laughs> everyone had to leave. <laughs> everyone had to leave. What do you think about everybody moving to and setting up life on Mars? Do you think it's... Uh, an exciting experiment or a kind of a fruitless waste of time and money? Yeah, I don't judge how people spend money and decide whether it's a waste or not. I just not, people should spend money however the hell they want if they earn it. So that's my first comment. Second, I can give you just some factual observation. Antarctica is balmier and wetter than any place on the surface of Mars. But you don't see people lined up to build condominiums there and move. So the idea that you're going to set up habitats on Mars on the expectation that people will live there permanently, if you needed evidence that that would happen, you would need to look to Antarctica to see if there are housing um, tracks that have been set up, and there haven't been. So it's a little unrealistic for me to think that Mars would be a destination for people to live. Now, if you can create a HAB module there, like a domed city, where you can control the environment and the temperature and all the rest of this, so you're not always having to wear a spacesuit, that could work. But then you're just living on Earth on Mars, right? I mean, so it's not really Mars. You're not having to navigate the hostile conditions of a different planet. So I can imagine that such a place would be like Disney World. You would go and visit it. It would be a vacation. And you'd have rides in 40% G. Uh, you know, if you're 100 and, um, you know, 200 pounds on Earth, you are, what is it, 100 and, uh, it was 40% of that. So um, 80 pounds, you'd weigh 80 pounds on Mars. That's kind of fun. You have all manner of fun sports and amusement park rides and things that exploit that fact. But then you'd come back to Earth and you'd be glad you came back to Earth when that happened. So the only meaningful way we become a multi-planet species is if we figured out how to terraform another planet, my favorite word of recent decades, where you take a planet that is not like Earth, seed the soils or the clouds with bacteria that create oxygen, this sort of thing, microbes, and then create an earth and then you move there. Okay. So I don't have a problem with that, but I would ask, what's your motivation? 
And this is where I part ways with Stephen Hawking and others, even Carl Sagan, who said we need to become a multi-planet species so that if a, if a disaster happens on one planet, the species survives. So then I asked, well, what disaster are you imagining? Could be an asteroid strike. Okay, that's one. Uh, uh, a killer virus, right? That's basically the plot of Planet of the Apes. Um, and all right, or something we haven't thought of. All right, well, how about this? I'm betting that the effort, that's the cost and time involved, in terraforming Mars and then shipping a billion people there, I'm betting that effort is more than deflecting an asteroid, than funding viral research such that there will never be a virus that'll harm us again. I'm kind of betting, I would bet that it would take less money and less time to accomplish that. That's the Iron Man cutting the cable. That's me on the, on the, on the trolley car um, fixing the brakes, figuring out what's wrong in that instant with the brakes, overcoming it and having the cable car stop. It's, uh, I, I, by the way, I don't mind living on multiple planets if you think that's just a fun thing to do. But, and then there are people say, oh, we're going to be trashing Earth. We have to move to another planet because we're polluting Earth or global warming. If you terraformed Mars, if you turn Mars into Earth, then you have the geoengineering ability to turn Earth back into Earth. Let's get real here. My last question for you, and I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with me today. How optimistic about the future are you right now? My source of optimism comes from the fact that the next generation is way more woke, almost to a fault, but regardless, they're way more woke and progressive-minded and uh, environmentally concerned than any previous generation. So, for example, okay, let's go back to the, the beatnik, peacenik, hippie era. What's not widely written about is that that was a fringe movement among highly privileged young white students. Okay? Highly, th that's what that was. These were kids who didn't really have to work. Uh, they could take time out and protest. And, and uh, so, by the way, it worked largely. We did exit the Vietnam War. Um, and peace as part of a, a cultural urge has remained ever since. And I don't think peace as a cultural urge predates the 60s, really. Okay, make, sure. make love, not war, these kinds of slogans. Give peace a chance, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No one really said that in the Second World War. Or the first. No. People might have wanted peace, but not it, they didn't package it that way. All right. Yep. So whereas now the next generation, it's practically 100% of them. You just look at the voting trends by age in the demographics. So, and they, they understand environment, they understand science. They were not the ones duped by internet rabbit holes that older folks, you know, that young generation is not the one who believed that Pizzagate that they were selling and eating babies in the basement. It's not that generation. So perhaps for the first time in the history of the world, I as an adult, say, I can't wait till the next generation takes over so they can fix the world. 
Big Money Energy is hosted by me, Ryan Serhant. It's produced by Mike Coscarelli and Joe Laresca and executive produced by Lindsay Hoffman. Find more podcasts like Big Money Energy on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.